Welcome to Level Up Academy podcast, where we explore the diverse set of skills that can be applied across various industries and professions. Each episode will deep dive into the world of transferable skills, discussing topics like communication, problem solving, critical thinking, and more. Join us as we speak with experts in different fields and share stories of individuals who have successfully transferred their skills from one industry to another. Whether you're a recent grad, a mid-career professional, or someone looking to make a career change, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's discover how you can leverage your existing skills to excel in any industry. Welcome to Level Up Academy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator, an opportunities designer, and a compassionate leader. Today, we're going to talk about finance. And yes, I know it's almost like a don't talk about that word. Don't need to know how much money I have in my bank. I just barely paid my bills. Right? All of those conversations. And it's two seconds later. Actually give you stats first about finances globally. And of course, we're going to focus on the U.S., right? Now, gross world product, GWP, according to the World Bank, the GD- GWP for us back in 2021, of course, this is an estimate because It takes a while to get all of those stats. And even then, it's not super accurate. So go ahead and just make sure that you have that straight, that it is an estimate. It's about $85.8 trillion. And it was actually up since 2020. And it was at 83.9 in 2020. So you're like, whoa, how did it go up even though we had COVID? Maybe the investors shift their money somewhere else. The global stock market, the, the total value of the world stock market is about $110 trillion in 2021. But in 2020, it was $88 trillion. Again, it's kind of weird because we had COVID, right? And that is from the World Federation of Exchange. The global debt <laughs> for the total amount of our global debt is estimated around $292 trillion. $292 trillion in 2021. And it was up from 2019 from 253 million. Now that makes sense to me because there was a lot going on, right? And um, we are borrowing money from each other. Now that's from the Institute of International Finance. That's stats. The foreign direct investment FDI um, as was estimated at 1.5 trillion dollars in 2021, and it was up from 1.3 trillion in 2020. And that is from the United Nations Conference. Um, on trade agreement. So this is the most interesting uh, part for me is the International Monetary Fund, IMF. This is a 2020 stats. It says that the average global savings rate was around 27% of your disposable income. We're going to talk about someone who's an expert on finance and explain disposable income in a minute. Okay. But that is what it is from 2020. 27% of your disposable income supposed to be on average in the world is 27%. The World Bank estimated that the global gross savings rate, like per households, business, governments, is about 23.8% uh, GDP in 2020. The Credit Suisse basically says that the median wealth per adult worldwide is about 6,151. And my guests today are talk about it and you're like, that seems really high. Like, where did they get that information? Even him and I were having that conversation. We're like, hmm, questionable. Um, In some countries, though, the savings rates are higher. And for example, China's personal savings rate is about 45% of their disposable income. And this was in 2019. Obviously, with COVID, we don't know, right? National Bureau of Statistics of China, that information came from. Now, in comparison to the U.S., from that 45%, U.S., on average, personal savings rate is about 7%. So you went from 45% savings of your disposable income to U.S. at 7%. Wow. And that one is from U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. So let's talk about which um, country actually, to be exact, it's 7.2% of disposable income. Now, which country, I'm going to talk about the top four countries in the world that have the highest savings rate when it comes to disposable income. Obviously, China is at 45%. Um, Singapore also is at 45%. And then Swiss, or Switzerland, I should say, is at 20%. And Japan 
is at 27%. So all of these four top four countries that I talked about, their percentage in terms of disposable income savings, it's super high. So how do we personally, you're like, I don't care about the world, CJ. I care about my money, my bank account today. So our guests, we'll talk about that. Okay. But before we talk about our guests, let's go ahead and give him a drum roll. Okay. You're like, welcome, Paul. Hello, Dr. Leland. And thank you so I just want to say thank you so much for having me on your show. And I want to say thank you to the audience and everyone watching. You know, I think time is the greatest gift that we have. And I'm ready to deliver some value for you today. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I will ask you, like any of my guests, can you sum up 20 years of your life? Just kind of go back of, did you ever love finance to begin with? Like, how did you even started loving finance? Yeah, that's a, that's a really funny question. So my life, I would say, has been the definition of, I would say, unconventional. You know, I was born and raised in Hawaii. I grew up with my grandparents. Uh, my mom was a single mom. My dad was a drug addict. So both my parents were actually awful uh, with money, I would say, probably like some of the worst people that I know with money. And my goal since I was 10 years old was to be a neurosurgeon. Like that was my goal was actually didn't have anything to do with finance. And the way that I found it was I started going to college when I was 16 to pursue being a neurosurgeon. And by the time that I turned 17, so I finished about a year, uh, both my grandparents passed away, my dad passed away, and my mom became medically disabled. And here I was this Uh, I was 17 at the time, and I had no no work experience, really. And I was essentially thrown into a position of I was the only one who could uh, support my family. And like you, you were saying earlier, right, finance is such a hard topic for a lot of people because it's something that we're not taught. You know, I didn't I joke with people all the time that the only things that I knew about finance was I knew how to read prices at the grocery store and I knew how to spend less money than I actually had. So I basically kind of started from, I would say the bottom and I didn't know anything about, I mean, finance is such a vast topic because there's so many different things, but I really didn't know anything about uh, anything in banking, building credit, like all these type of things that are so important. And how it all started for me was really just, I needed a job because Hawaii is like one of the most expensive places to live in. So I needed uh, something to support my family. And that was a major pain point that a a lot of doctors and surgeons had was that you made all this money, but they didn't really know how to manage it or, you know, it would go in and out. And I noticed that from my career in finance. So I started in banking when I was, 19. I guess I should probably give you the full picture, like what happened from 17 to 19. So because I wasn't uh, educated on finance and I was, I grew up with my grandparents. So I was kind of taught that, you know, if you work hard, you'll be successful. And I'm, I wasn't 18. So even though I had all these skills legally, I couldn't qualify for a lot of these like good paying jobs. So I basically, the way I got to financial stability was I worked 20 hour days for two years straight. And I just remember a lot of the things that my grandparents taught me, you know, if you work hard, you'll be successful. And I was, I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know how much harder I can work and I'm barely just breaking even. So that's when I decided, you know, I think it's probably a information issue. And that's exactly what it was. I started in banking when I was 19 and I was, I I was um, in it for four years and I think one of the biggest, that was probably the transformational experience that really set me on this path because I realized that the greatest epidemic, honestly, is financial education. You know, I saw people, I've helped people over the past six and a half years from all age demographics, income levels, industries, like I've seen nearly everything that you could see in finance in six and a half or like six years. And the the biggest takeaway that I had was that a lot of people 
you know, nobody's planning for these tragedies to strike, right? Nobody's planning for uh, something that you never think is going to happen to happen. And then it's like, oh, shoot, because you didn't have a plan in place or anything like that. That's when you're kind of stuck in the middle. And I spent uh, most of my years in banking just being a master debt eliminator. You know, first year was really just about educating myself on all these things. And the final three, I would help people save thousands of dollars a month and really just transform their entire life, like financially. You know, one of the things that uh, you and I talked about in our conversation is that money isn't everything, but we live in a world where it buys just about everything. And I think that if there's one thing that I could share from my experience from where I started versus where I'm at now, it life is really a game of problems. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're at the top or the bottom, you're always going to have problems in life. And I think that what it allows you to do is it allows you to change the quality of your problems, which in turn uh, change the quality of your life. And after I had an experience in uh, banking in 2020 at the height of COVID that was kind of put me on the exit path of banking just because I was helping people save all this money. But then the next uh, thing on the list was like, oh, well, you know, what are people going to do to investing? So obviously, like the bank had financial advisors and all these things. And I remember at the height of COVID in Hawaii, it was so impactful. Nearly half of our small businesses got uh, wiped out. And the area that I lived in was like an older demographic. So these are people who've worked like 40, 50 years, and they did everything that their advisor and these people who are supposed to be experts told them to do. And I just remember seeing, it it, it was really a eye-opening experience for me to see like how quickly things could shift. I remember seeing a lot of my clients coming in, they were like so happy and they were telling me, you know, I'm going to retire. Like I've worked all this time. I'm ready to retire. And the final memory that I had before they left was they were in tears. And when I went to ask the financial person what happened, they said, oh, you know, just so nonchalantly, like they lost uh, their retirement in the market. And that's when I realized like people are uh, playing a system that's not built for you to win. So I created uh, strategies that do. Let's talk about those strategies, right? So the first thing is, how do you define financial success? Like what steps can people take to achieve it? Like if I don't know anything about finance and I don't even know if it's possible, like do you start from people who are high school? I think they really need finance, okay? High school people, that's when we mess up for the next 10 years of our life, right? I think we should start finance definitely on um, high school students, like at senior, junior, when they started working and where their money, because they're for like, I made like my daughter yesterday, it was her, this is her first job. She's like, mom, I made 60 bucks. I'm like, right. And your phone is $1,500. Right. (laughs) You know, like, and she's like, mom, you just killed my spirit. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, And I said, you know, when you're single, you're going to be deducted like almost 40%, it seems like, from the government, right? All that taxes. And how are you supposed to live? Like you make $16 an hour and you have, you know, your food is going to be expensive because she likes organic and she has a lot of allergies. Uh, Car payment, insurance, lights, like if you want to have your own apartment, right? Also, the rent itself is huge. It's like it seems like 70% of your income goes to that. What yeah. kind of disposable income you don't, you're at negative all the time. So my question is, how do you define financial success and what steps can people take to achieve it? I think the most important thing to define financial success first is just kind of figuring out where you're at and where you want to go. You know, the number one thing that I think I do for people or I spend most of my time doing is providing people financial clarity, you know, like I'll ask people the question of there may be uh, like 30, 40, or even if they're like my age, right. You know, in their twenties, when do you want to retire? You know, besides yesterday, obviously, like when, when do you want to retire? And most people are like, Oh, I never thought about that question. Or I'll ask them like, have you ever thought about like how much money it's going to, it's going to take, you know, to sustain 
the lifestyle that you want. And they're like, Oh, I never thought about that. And I think that when you lack clarity, there's a, there's a saying that I love so much about clarity is that if you're not clear on what you want, then you end up settling for what other people tell you, you should want. And I think that's what happens for so many people is that you end up getting caught in like, if you don't know what you want to do in life, you'll do like what your parents did. Or it's like, you know, a lot of times like with money, the beliefs and values that we have and how things are defined are based off of how we were raised. You know, like I said, I grew up with my grandparents. So they, one of the things that they told me was, oh, you know, put your money in the banks, like save it. And then when I did research, I was like, I was trying to understand because now it's like banks are paying you, you know, two tenths of 1%. And it's like inflation supposedly reported is 8%. And it's like, uh, a lot of people have this fear of being like the market being so volatile and all these things that they'll be like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm so I don't want to earn money anymore. I'm afraid of losing money. So they'll put it in the banks where they think that it's safe. And really just giving people this perspective of if inflation's eight percent and you're earning like not even one percent you're still losing money either way and that's where clarity comes in into perspective but i think the most important thing and i would say i define wealth differently than most people because for me wealth is it's peace of mind you know it's financial freedom the fact that nearly anything could uh, happen to me today and my family would be okay. You know, I think that's when I talk to a lot of people, that's the goal that they want to achieve financially is that they don't want to worry about money. They don't want their family to worry about money. And so many people are kind of caught up in the rat race, as they say, right? You know, you work five days a week to enjoy to you work 40, 50 years to enjoy maybe like 20 to 30, if you're lucky, maybe a little more. And it's it's really just defining to people what's important and i think covid has been a really good indicator for a lot of people and you're seeing so many people chase entrepreneurship really value the the time and the freedom to work from home be around their family more and i think that definitely that's a big piece of how i would define financial success is just doing what you want when you want with who you want and to be able to do it as often as you want. Okay, so the steps that you say is clarity, clarify exactly where you want to be heading. Right. But what if you don't know, like you said, like, I just want to be able to pay for my necessities, like Maslow's hierarchy, physiological needs, roof over your head, food over your table. Oh, wait, I need internet, car insurance, car payment, like the list just goes on, right? So if you're yeah. a young person, and let's say that you have a small brother or sister, like, how would you tell them, hey, the first thing you should do is this? What would you say? I would say the first thing to do, obviously, is to, to find something that you're really passionate about. You know, and I think that that was really kind of the, the thing that kept me around was that I, I'm not drawn to money like how a lot of people are. Like for, for me, I just look at it as a tool. But the the fact that one of the things that I always would hear from people or like that I was told when I was younger is that do what you love, right? But I know a lot of people who do things that they love, like teachers and all these people who are love their profession, but the money just doesn't match. And I think that the neat part of the way that the world's changed is that there's opportunity now to where you can do what you love and then there's people, you know, you, you, I mean, reaching out to people obviously is a big thing, right? Maybe if you spend time around people who are maybe where you want to be. And I think a lot of it at first does come down to materialistic things, right? You see people who have more things than you and you're like, oh, I love that. Or I remember my first goal that I had was uh, I couldn't afford to eat at fancy restaurants. So I was like, I want to make enough money to where I can go to like every restaurant. So for a while, that was kind of my goal. And when I did that, it just made me realize like, okay, once you do one thing, you needed to think bigger. But for a lot of people, it's just really getting your head above water. Because most people like, that's what I wanted to capture is how did you get like, I want to go to all these restaurants that I want, right? My daughter's goal is like, I want to buy three or more, four or more 
Les Paul um, guitar. And they're like three, 4,000 each, okay? And I'm like, girl, you made 31 bucks and you want, you know, $12,000 right now. So what would be the first step that you should say to young people? Like, okay, they're passionate about music, but when we're talking about finance, would you say, hey, for the money that you make, save 30% and you can spend 70%. Like what would your specific advice on that young person? So, so there's, there's a rule where you, they say that you should live off of like 40% of your income, but it, it, it's hard to say that that's kind of like the, the tool. Cause for young people, you know, you don't have expenses. It's easier to put more money away. You know, if you're working, if you're living at home and all these type of things, I would say that investing for me was a big thing. Like I, when I worked in the banking world, right, I would see a lot of young people and parents and they would put, they would put money away. And I remember the question that I would always ask them, cause I was learning this at the time. This is how I learned that saving doesn't build you wealth was, do you look at your statement um, every month? Like, are you paying attention, like tracking the goal that you want to hit or whatever it is? And they're like, oh, no. And when they started doing that and seeing that, oh, you know, I'm putting in all this money, all these type of things, but I'm, it's not really growing. That was a huge, a huge thing for me was really just paying attention. I found that for a lot of people, it's, there's not really intention with when it comes to finance. Like it's, you're either focusing on something that's not netting a ton of value or you really kind of don't know where you're going, if that makes sense. So what kind of practical strategies people can use to save more money and reduce their debt? Like right now, if I'm your client and I'm like, hey, here's my debt, here's what I make. What are some advice that you can give me? I would say the most valuable piece of advice that I give a lot of people is looking at it from a time perspective, right? So one of the interesting things that, I've found that helps a lot of people that I work with when it comes to spending is using the example of like, say if you're working, right, you're earning 15 bucks an hour and you want something that costs $150. Asking yourself if the time that it would take you to earn that money is worth the item or thing that you want to invest in, you know, put your money in. So really kind of thinking at it, thinking about it from a logical perspective and using time as your currency instead of money. Yeah. I usually will tell her to, I, I ask her questions. Let's define what needs and wants are. Those are the first thing that I ask her. What, and she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, a need is you will die if you don't have it like food yeah. and roof. Okay. That's a need. Let, let's just right. straight define that. I want is everything else that you don't need, right? I mean, looking at our house, we don't need a lot of these crap right now, right? We yeah. wanted it. But at the same time, I have to tell my daughter and I said, okay, what do you need? Because like I said, she wants all this four $12,000 ones and she she made $31 and she was so excited. I was like, and she was talking about like, I'm moving out. She was dreaming. I have a job. I'm moving. I'm like, really? Let's, let's, yeah. let's go ahead and look um, Zillow for renting homes or, you know, all of these. So I think for me, my practical advice for my, my child would be define what's needs and wants, right? Besides yeah. the time, Absolutely. because, because if you look at the time, she'll calculate, she'll like, eh, I'm going to just buy, since I can't buy the $4,000 less ball, I'm just going to buy these clothes, this, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah. define needs and wants, especially when you're going to eat ramen for the rest of your life until you make money. Okay. Ramen's like, well, it went up now, but it used to be 79 cents or 39 cents. So I said, okay, define what you want needs and wants. That would be my practical approach. Right. And if I say, okay, what are other strategies? If you are a business owner, what would your strategies be? For me is if you can get anything for free, like there's yeah. so many products out there that you can get, like Zoom, you can get for free. It's limited for five minutes, right? StreamYard, you can get for free. Restream, you can get for free, but it's limited. Don't just jump into something, especially if you're a business owner. Don't just jump into something and pay it without knowing what it does for you. Think of it as what 
does what kind of value does this thing give me? And don't say self-gratification, okay? Because that is 10 minutes and then you're like, oh no, it's 26% of interest rate for this month. How am I yeah. gonna, you know? And now you're losing more money in the whole thing. And people are like, oh, it doesn't matter because I can afford it now. Now, but what if you lose your job, right? Which we see a lot of people are getting laid off and they have all this debt. How are you gonna talk to me about disposable income and savings, right? You can't. So then you're going to have to say, okay, well, China, even though they're really rich, they're technically still considered emerging market because it's a huge country. Same thing for India, right? So how can they keep 45% of their disposable income? Like what? So that's what I want to know. Like, how can people invest their money wisely? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing really is first understanding kind of what you're investing in, you know, Warren Buffett's been the number one invest person that nearly everyone in finance turns to. And he talks about, there's two rules, like the golden rule of money is to never lose it. And then the second rule is follow rule number one. But if you look at where, and I can only speak really for America because each of the countries are different, you know, they have different financial laws and regulations and products and all these type of things. But for most people in the U.S., they keep their wealth in one of two places. They either keep it in their home or they keep it in their retirement, right? Planning for the future. And I think that what's what's been interesting that's happened the past like two or three years is that you're seeing an influx where inflation has gone so high and people haven't been able to keep up with it with their wages that they're either forced to you know, pull from savings if they have it, or if not, kind of like what you were saying, right? The debt's been increased because people are putting it on credit cards, getting loans, pulling from their 401ks, you know, doing whatever it takes basically to survive because unlike, unlike taxes, I, I call inflation the stealth tax because the difference between that and traditional like income taxes is if you don't make X amount of money, the government can't tax you because you're not, you don't make any money. But the reason why inflation is so uh, impactful for so many people right now is that whether you're somebody who is makes zero money or you're a billionaire, everybody has to pay for food, they have to pay for gas, they need to pay for all these things that you need to live. And one of the things that I'm seeing is that the strategies that people have aren't flexible because we're using uh, strategies and products that have been around for hundreds of years because the world's changed and it kind of went back to what I was talking about in the beginning how a lot of the advice and all these things that we get from our parents is because that's what worked in their time and I just want to go over kind of the three main things that people do right so going from the savings account this is where a, a lot of people keep their their money right in my grandparents time which was probably six seventy eighty years ago people were earning like 10 percent interest on uh savings accounts it was it would almost be foolish you know not to keep your money there because you were earning so much more on it it was able to work for you and if you look at where we're at today people are earning two tenths of one percent you know it take you five years to earn just one percent of your money and inflation is eight percent right so it's like there's the massive gap that so many people are having to make up there and the other thing with the retirement accounts is that they were intended because taxes believe it or not in the 1940s up until like the 60s were in the 90 percent as in terms of like the highest uh, tax bracket so the reason why these strategies were so popular and it's kind of just been passed down is because nobody wanted to pay 90% of their, of their pay, right? So you put it in something like a 401k, like a IRA that you could defer and you had 30, 40 years till you got to retirement. So hopefully the plan was taxes would go down in the future. And if you look at where we're at today, taxes are at some of the lowest points in history. Yet, 
for a lot of the kind of what you were saying, right? We have the highest debt in America that we've ever had with some of the lowest tax rates. And the reason why that's so important is if you understand that the only way that our our country makes money is through taxes, yet we have the highest uh, debt that we've ever had. Unless anybody thinks that our country is going to stop spending money, there's only one thing that's going to happen, right? And it's going to be to raise taxes. So looking at the strategy that many people are using, I guess the question that I would ask you is, right, would you want to pay your taxes on like the seed and you get the harvest tax free or would you want to defer and pay it on the harvest, right? And this is what's happening for so many people right now is that you're you're doing things that aren't in your best interest because nobody's talking about these type of things. Well, also it, it's a necessity. Like if, if people, I, I know a couple of friends who have stocks and bonds and, and I'm glad that you actually talk about Warren Buffett. I met him actually in person. I call him my grandfather. He really, he basically molded me. I didn't know who he was. I worked at Geico and um, we had a thing, a sales kickoff where if you make, you know, $50,000 in a week of sales, you can meet Warren Buffett. Knowing me, I was competitive. I'm like, I don't know who Warren Buffett is, but let's go. And I met him and he's so kind and so gentle and he's so nice. And literally, he just told me, little lady, are you fighting for your potential or are you fighting for your limitations? And I use that all the time Um, because at the end of the day, that's what it is. Finance, leadership, it doesn't matter. Are you fighting for your potential or are you fighting for your limitations? And our mind and our brain and our, our ability or not, or not able to see or ask questions is the one that limits us. So for me, I wanted to see what kind of practical approach, like right now, would I invest What would I invest in if I don't even have the money to invest in? A lot of my friends had retirement money, but because they got let go of their job, they had to take out, right? And you what? Pay 40, 45% of that interest or really taxes to the government, right? And what is up with the double taxation where you actually will get paid right now a commission, right? And so that commission takes 45% off. So you only see, you know, 60% if that for your, for your money. And then at the end of the year, you also get tax again for the entire income. Yes. Right. So how, why are we doing that? Why are we having, you know, double taxation? So for me, it's like, okay, Paul, what would be the best time or where should I invest? If I have some money right now, where should I invest them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, it's it's so hard right i think the it, it would be irresponsible for me to give financial advice without context and i think that that's why it's so important to have conversations with people right figure out what their goals are what they're trying to achieve because everybody's goals are different and i think that with with it's interesting that you bring that you bring up warren buffett right because a lot of people will use the fact that he's like the greatest investor but if you actually look at what he's done, he didn't invest in the stock market, like how people invest in mutual funds and all these things. He, he bought out, he literally bought companies and that's what he invested in. So it's, it's a completely different juxtaposition than what people are using because if, I mean, Warren Buffett owns like some of the, you know, biggest companies, Berkshire Hathaway, Coca-Cola, Geico, you know, all these things. Oh yeah. If, if they, they're, they're like billion dollar companies. So if they go down, he's really not losing any money, but it's like, if you're dumping all your money and you're relying on that small pool to kind of carry you into retirement and say the company doesn't perform well, I mean, you could be losing money. So I think that it's, it's really important to go back to what I said, right? Figure out what, what you want. There's, there's three questions that I always ask every person that I work with is that at your core, like, who are you? What's, what's important to you? What do you want out of life? Like, what does your ideal life look like? Kind of draw that out and see like how much money does that take? What, what would that look like in terms of the, the things that you want? And then why now? Cause I think for a lot of us, 
we've known for a while that finance is something that is so important, right? It's, it's something that's a necessity for to live, but it's a tough conversation. Like you were saying, like nobody wants to talk about it. I was taught that it was a taboo to talk about. For me, I'm just trying to find an avatar. Like what would be a practical approach to, you know, somebody in high school, like my daughter, right? Cause you can't just say you can invest it. She won't listen to you. Honestly, she'd be like, no. And she just goes to me and my, her dad. But, but for me, I'm trying to teach her the importance of money because a it's your credit. Also, we haven't even talked yep. about credit really on how that, and a lot of the millionaires that I've been following, including Warren Buffett, really like you're right. He actually buys, he can't afford to buy companies, right? I mean, he actually got Geico. I don't know if you know what Geico stands for. Do you know what Geico stands for? Like government employee insurance company, government employee insurance company. They're actually started back with Leo Goodwin and his wife. He went door to door selling insurance. Then he found out in terms of risk that he would be giving money out is if a government employee um, have certain standards where they don't need, they can't have accidents or not allowed to do any of this, right? They actually can make more money. So that's how Geico stands that started is government employee insurance company. And then they have tier high risk, low risk, medium risks. Um, and so you have different kinds of Geico that you actually within there and, and sub and the customers doesn't know it, but, but we don't inside as a worker of what your risks are. Like if you're a teenager driving, you're going to have a really high insurance rate because the likelihood of you getting into an accident is highly likely. But in the 80s, they actually almost went bankrupt because a lot of government employees had options to buy other insurance. And so that's when Warren Buffett stepped in and get, basically bought Geico. And our president at that time when I was working over 20 years ago was our mail clerk. He started as a mail clerk. His story is so popular within Geico because he literally was just opening letters. And um, he's amazing. Tony Nicely was so, super amazing. Very kind man as well. And so for us, they basically told us, hey, there's a percentage that. So we tell our daughter, hey, you can spend, you know, 30% you should save and the 70% you should, you should, you can spend because that's a necessity. That's realistic, right? Now for people who are investing, you said, yeah, it's hard to tell you what your investments are, but if you're going to be in that business and I literally will tell you like, okay, I don't really know what my future would look like. I want to retire at this age. This is how much money that I'll make or I'm making. Um, there's a potential of me making more, but what would you say to them? Like, hey, where do you want to invest your money right now? So if I were to ask you, is it Manny Mutual? Is it, obviously I can't buy, <laughs> I can't buy like Warren Buffett. So as an average American, right? Where would you like, would you tell them to buy a cryptocurrency? Like that's the popular thing now, right? Would you let them buy Merrill Lynch and go, you know, have someone else deal with your money? Uh, would you buy stocks in Apple? Would you buy stocks in any tech right now? Like that would be my, my simple question as an average American. And what would you say to that? Yeah, I think that was, that was a great question. And to, what you were what you were saying about like where i would invest i think for a lot of younger people the the most invaluable asset that you have is yourself so i think that's probably like a good place to start is like invest in in skills and things that necessarily aren't going to be uh fluctuated right by the economy by the market and all these type of things and in terms of like the stock market for me personally i i just don't think that i'm not in the following what uncle warren said right don't lose money i think that there's better strategies to invest in the stock market because it it's it's really like playing the financial yo-yo game you know you're always kind of up down up down and i think that in in the long run people will give you the statistic that you'll probably come out ahead. But from a lot of the things that I've seen, it it's an ideal approach versus something that's realistic. And what 
one of the things that I've specialized in, especially from my experience, is that the number one thing that people are concerned about, like we'll just talk about using GoFundMe as an example, right? Like there's so many people who are experiencing financial hardship, all these type of things. And when tragedy strikes and they realize that, oh, you know, I'm not in a position, they're resulting to GoFundMe and all these type of things. And I think that one of the most valuable things for me that I started investing in for myself, I'll just use myself as an example, right? I used a form of permanent life insurance. And what it did for me was it was, I use it as a retirement plan. I'm able to uh, put money into it where I may not be able to earn as much as say like the stock market, but while millions of people are losing money, none of my clients are losing anything. And I think that there's, there's been a very, I guess you would say interesting approach to it just because the product and strategies evolved so much over the years versus like what people have known it for. And I think that if you're trying to build wealth, the there's two things that I know that are going to be constant in life and that's death and taxes. And I think for a lot of people, if something happened to you, right? Like if today was your last day, uh, where you have your money would be impactful for your family in the sense that the government would probably take half of it. And I think that that's a strategy that more people don't know about because of maybe like bad experiences or uh, what they think of the product and all these type of things. So for me, that's, that's something that I do uh, personally that's been valuable for me and a lot of my clients during this time. Huh. Okay. Thank you for that. I, for me, I'm not into the finance world, but I do have certain strategies that I see based on my experiences. Like, holy moly, when you die, it costs $50,000. What? <laughs> Where do you want me to get that money? Like, your savings is gone. Kaput, right? And so I already have life insurance for myself just in case. So I don't want my family to have all that. But it takes 30 days. What are you going to do? Stay in the freezer for 30 days, which most family do. And that's why you see GoFundMe because no one ever wants to talk about death. No one ever wants to talk about how much it will cost to bury you, right? No one ever. But that's the most hardship that people take. Not only the emotional. And you know, I hate it when people... Like they already know that the family died and then they upsell you on everything. Like, hello, have some little class and empathy for people who barely make it today just because they lost a loved one. But um, they sell them like this. And I told my kids and I always tell them, I die. I want pink glitter coffin. And if that coffin is pink and it's not glitter, you better put some glitter in there, girlfriend, because I will come back for you. And she's like, mama. And I'm like, no, I'm just trying to tell you. Like, you know, that's what I want. And she's like, well, because sometimes people don't want to talk about it. They don't tell it. But that's the biggest for me, the finance loss at one time. And sometimes you're like, where am I going to get that 20, 50, 30? I mean, the average, I think if you want to bury someone's about 25,000, the cheapest you can get. Cheapest, right? And it, it's horrible, and so for me, when it comes to finance, I think the strategy is to look at cash is king. Just know that until we break somewhere else, but cash is king. Um, also, most people will say, I, I know a couple of people say, um, spend other people's money than your money, which means use your credit card instead of your debit card and make sure that you pay it at the end full so you don't have those percentage rate eating you up at 26%, 14%, whatever percent it is. So that would be my practical approach. And I told my daughter that I said, hey, if you earn 30 bucks and you want to buy something for five bucks, use your credit card. The end of the month in 30 days or before 30 days, go ahead and pay that off because A, you're doing two things. A, you're not spending your own money. You can spend it somewhere else. B, you actually are gaining that um, trust of people so that you can buy your own house later on for your credit that you're actually paying. So you're doing two things. That would be another thing is have a short-term and long-term goal, right? Short-term, three to five years, 12 months. What are you trying to do? You want to make more money for your business? Where are you spending that money, right? Long-term, where are you going to do that? And for me, I think having that goal of short-term, long-term goal and a now goal helps you 
put where your money should be in your basket. That would be my strategy for myself um, saying, okay, in 12 months, I want to invest more in my business. How much can I invest so that I can actually still use some money <laughs> to inject on my business? Three to five years from now, I want to be this big, but if I can't, this would be my alternative. Having that alternative too, right? Alternative source. Um, before we end, I wanted to have some key consideration for starting and growing a um, a growth mindset when it comes to finance. So what are the three things that you would tell someone, hey, um, what is my, what's your finance? Like what would be the questions that you would ask someone saying when it comes to finance that they would feel comfortable and they're like, Paul, I'm having anxiety in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. What would be the three things that you would ask them? I think the three things would be kind of like what I went back earlier, you know, the questions that I ask um, a lot of my clients, like who, uh, what do you, like, what do you want, right? Like figuring out what do you want? Where do you want to go? And why, you know, what's your, there's a saying that your why may make you cry, but your why not is what's going to get you there. And really just figuring out kind of really why you want this money. You know, I think that the interesting parts that I've learned from training with elite mentors in business and finance over the past year is that everybody gets to like, once you get there, you're like, Oh, I made it. But then it just becomes like money to you. You know, you don't really have like a deeper meaning in terms of what it all means. And then the third thing is, what, what is something that I can do to impact the life of the lives of others? I think that the reason why money has been so impactful for me is not necessarily what it means to me, but what it is able to do. You know, I talked earlier about it being a tool and the fact that I know a lot of people who love helping people and for, for the situation that we're in right now, it's tough uh, financially, economically for a lot of people. There's layoffs. There's a lot of people who are losing their financial future. You know, people who are retired that are relying on their portfolio in the stock market that's crashing or, you know, whatever it is. And it, it really comes down to take care of yourself so you're able to help others, I think is really the, the three big things that I would say. Awesome. For me, I would say evaluate where your money is going. Like literally, I yeah. saw um, Karen Mathura a couple of weeks ago. She's like, I spend so much money on my clothes and um, I'm going to try to see sustainability as my thing, which she's passionate about what you were talking about is what are you passionate about? And kind of tying in your finance in that and helping not only the environment for her, but for herself too financially. Like she literally said, I'm not going to buy or I'm going to try not to buy clothes for the next year or 12 months. And it made me really think like, yeah, I should stop buying purses. I probably will have more money. if I. <laughs> That's why our thing is like purses because I have a weakness for purse. Like, yes, makeup too. But purses are so expensive, especially what I wanted. And it's like, mm, yeah, I should definitely save my money somewhere else instead of that. Um, what about investing on housing? Like, would you buy a house right now or as an investment versus, you know, injecting your own money for your company? What would your ideal strategy be? So that's a great question. I think, I think it really kind of depends on what you want and like your situation. You know, I think for a lot of people, if you have a family, that's kind of been the ultimate goal for many people is like, I want to be a homeowner. You know, you see so many people, like once they cross that threshold, it's like a major accomplishment. I think that with a high interest rates right now and kind of where the world's going, for me personally, and like being transparent for me, I'm just a single person, like I don't have kids or anything like that. So I think for me, I wouldn't necessarily I think that there's other things that I'd rather invest in like myself, my business and really kind of growing that to where you can, you know, utilize the equity and all these type of things that you gain from that to make these purchases that are much more efficient both not only tax wise but also so that you're not leveraging like a lot of the money that you have saved up or whatever it is yeah that's true I, I i love what you said about the young people on investing in themselves because no one can take that investment that investment will only go up not down right 
investing in yourself, like taking master classes or professional development, or even listening to a podcast that's free um, for you to kind of grow and just extrapolate information. Like what is, what is the aspiration? What is the goal? What is the ultimate goal? And make it with time bound, right? Like make it into like, okay, three years from now, 12 months from now, this year, this month, what am I going to do? Like, for me, I need to stop going to Starbucks <laughs> for sure because it costs so much money. I actually probably con my husband. I'm like, oh, if you buy me this $700 coffee machine, I will stop going to Starbucks. <sighs> no, that didn't happen. I, I still have the machine. I love the frother of it. And it's an espresso machine. But it's just that different feeling when I go to Starbucks with my daughter. You know, it's that feeling. It's not even the the coffee at that point because my coffee at home is so much better. Um, but I think... We really need to think as a whole of culturally speaking, right? On A, where are we going? We're always a consumer country. We consume so much. Like look at a hamburger. It's huge. And the large is like four people. When I have people from Japan come in and they like, that's your hamburger? That's a huge burger, right? And it's just really crazy. Um I'm going to kick myself now. <laughs> Carrie, hi, Carrie. She's so funny. He's so funny. He's like, hey, all this time I was waiting on LinkedIn and he was playing all the time. Oh, that is so funny. Welcome. And so for me, that would be my strategy is to look at yourself on what you want to accomplish financial wise. Don't forget death. I know that's a bad thing to talk about, but literally your family would help you and take care of you at the end of your life when you're really like, wow, I don't have to worry about this. And I experienced that last year. It was horrible. Um, also, another thing for strategy is invest in yourself. Like Paul said, not funny for me. <laughs> invest in yourself. And also, it's recorded, Carrie. No worries. If you have any last minute question, let us know. Also, invest in yourself is because you don't actually loosen that. Thank you, Paul. And I wanted to also give that tidbit that my husband actually um, shared with me and I didn't know, but Elon Musk actually, you know, he has a lot of money, right? Like he literally can buy whatever property. He couch surf on his friends. <laughs> he doesn't even have a house, okay? So when people are like, yeah, this is so ideal, more debt, and you can't really move now, right? Like, because it's going to spend more money on having to make your house beautiful and clean it and sell it and back and forth negotiation, right? Um, that's a lot of stress. And like for me, and I, I actually was taken by it. I'm like, Elon doesn't have a house? What do you mean? He's like, yeah, he just couch surf. He just, he invests his money and time on his company and his ideal. So what you're saying totally clicked. And a lot of people are like shaking their head probably like, what do you mean? You need a house. You need two dogs, two kids and white picket fence. Who said, right? Who said you can do whatever that you want. And I love what you said about focusing on what you like. And those three things, where do you want to be 20 years from now, 10 years from now? I, I can't do 10, 20 years, let alone 10. I can do three to five years. <laughs> I can tell you because I'm like, I don't know. Did anyone plan for COVID? No. Okay, then. Right. So what are you doing today that could make? Let's start small. Okay. Count how many times you go to Starbucks like I do. How many five, six, seven, twenty dollars that you do? I literally spend two hundred dollars a week. It's not even funny because of my kids. Right. Two hundred dollars a week. I could save that somewhere else. Right. How about the food that you have? How many times that you actually throw your food and didn't finish? Because what, you can't eat, then heat it up in your microwave? Really? My kids are doing that, right? Think about also saving on clothes. We're, we're basically just throwing clothes away, right? And $100, $200 clothes. Why? You're at home working. <laughs> Why do you need to spend that much money, right? Think about those little things that you can do right now to sustain yourself financially, Another thing for me is shoes. Shoes are so expensive. I did not know. I haven't had sneakers in 20 years because I only wear heels. Sneakers are expensive. 150 bucks. When did that happen? I haven't bought sneakers, you can tell. Um, but I'm like, oh, wow. I'm thinking 50 bucks. Like, what? 120? And I look at my shoes. I'm like, well, it does look cute. But I don't know if it's $120. Like, so my kid's looking and shaking their head. I'm like, so this is why I buy you guys? You're like, yeah. But why do you need 20 shoes? You're not going to wear your work at home, right? 
think about those little things that you're spending your money on when you can actually do something about it. And you're like, okay, so where should I put my money in, CJ? What do you think, Paul? Where should they put their money in? Or anyone really. Right now, middle middle class American who's barely making it working, trying to save up as much as they can, and they're putting it in their savings account because their banker told them to. Where should they put their money in where there's biggest um, return for them? Well, I think kind of going back to what I was saying, right? One of the reasons why I love the what I mentioned for myself was about using uh, permanent life insurance is that the compound interest has been kind of the holy grail that everyone's been kind of preached to, right? Like you want to make your money compound for you and all these type of things. But what a lot of people don't realize is that when you have these like retirement strategies and all these things that um, people are using, when you pull your money out, you're disrupting uh, compound interest. The neat thing about why a lot of insurance products are coming to the forefront now is because if let's say I'm just using it as an example, right? Let's say if you put in like $10,000, right? You, you have the, if it's structured properly, you have access to that 10,000. You could take maybe like 5,000 of it, but because you're taking it in the form of a loan, you're still earning on the full 10. So it's like, you're not interrupting compound interest. And then you have the other options where it's like, if something happens to you, then you have the death benefit to where you're covered on multiple angles. So I think for me, having strategies that are versatile and do multiple things has, was probably the number one mistake that I saw from my time in the banking world. I used to see people who had like three different products trying to fix multiple things. You know, they would be doing something for retirement. They'd have the insurance, they'd have the long-term care the health insurance, all these things. And it was really just about efficiency, you know, finding something that can do all three to four of those things. And then that's how people were able to save hundreds, mainly thousands of dollars a year for a lot of them. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Now, Carrie asks, what do you do about food that is supposed to be healthy? And the food that can kill us is cheaper. You're right. So what what I usually do, honestly, is just research on anything that has preservatives, anything, or aspartamine, or, you know, you'll be surprised that we, we're eating so much food and we're like, why do people have so many cancers nowadays, right? It's just crazy. It's because everything is processed, that we eat everything processed. If you can't find something. I'm not saying go and kill a chicken or a pig in your if you don't have a farm, okay? Don't do that to your neighbors' pets. But I'm saying even like even the 99 cent store, I've seen them they have um organic stuff now. I also see like in California, I'm lucky we have a lot of farmers market. Even farmers market are are expensive, but we have like some some vendors, street vendors that actually sell you by the bulk. Um maybe you should start cooking rather than buying. It's just a convenience, right? It takes more time to cook than than um, doing it. But I, I actually, my kids miss it when I cook and I don't have time to cook nowadays, but I do try to make sure that on the weekend, I do spend my time on cooking um, because everything is all about convenience. And I think we as Americans needed to get it out of our head about convenience if you want to live healthy. Um, and you save a lot of money, actually. Like if I buy, my coffee is five bucks, right? Which is the... Um, whatchamacallit, the just regular coffee that you buy, like five or 10 bucks. And it's, it's going to last you about a month. Whereas if you go to Starbucks, literally $200 in a week for me, like how many coffees I could run that in six months. Like just think about the numbers um, in terms of how much savings that you have rather than convenience. You got to sell that to yourself too and believe that it, it, it is worth it. I have been cooking my meals. <laughs> He's so funny. Uh, I can eat like a carnivore diet and I'm not making it and it's not cheap. It has healed me. Wow. Yeah, it is actually. It is. It, a lot of people do high protein or things like that. Um, think about like the eggs, right? You go to the you go to Starbucks and they sell you like two little tiny little, I don't know, egg bites or something like that. And they're like six bucks. Your entire 12 eggs is about that. Actually, I just bought one from Trader Joe's or Costco. It was like 36 for eight bucks, right? And so think about those money, where it's going. Be very intentional on looking at prices and how much you can do and make rather than just buy it out of convenience and not think about it. You'll save money. Any last minute thing before we end our 
podcast today, Paul? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I think one of the most important things when it comes to finance is that it's not necessarily about the money, it's about value. And I think that for a lot of people, we get so caught up in price. And I think that price is only an issue in the absence of value. And I just want to say uh, thank you so much, uh, Constance, for having me. And it's been a pleasure getting to have a conversation with you and your audience. Awesome. Thank you. He gave up coffee for it. Okay, so I have an issue with a migraine where I tried to give up caffeine and I had some issues. So I do coffee and tea, coffee and tea. But you don't understand. I think I uh, definitely raised my kids on caffeine, I think, and Starbucks. And I'm trying to like get their expectations straight that if you don't make money, you're not going to be able to eat these things. These are luxury but that you take for granted every day. And I'm definitely going to send them to a mission and also to the slums in the Philippines to see what poor means. Because they complain like, mom, I couldn't do this. And my classmate did this. And I'm like, ah, child, let me just, you know, show you. Because sometimes me saying it until I'm blue in the face, they don't get it. But if I show them what poor means where you can't even have slippers, maybe they'll appreciate life a little bit more, right? Thank you so much for having your time with us today. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you have any questions, email me at lua at leveluppbydocleland.com. Lua, L-U-A-B-Y-D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D.com. It's open for consultations and courses will be offered soon. I will see you in my next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.